Okay, uh, we're back to Colossians. We're back to Colossians, and uh, we're starting Colossians chapter 2. So I will read the first five uh, verses. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for the, all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. God has a secret. It's mentioned here, right in the middle of this passage. God has a secret that's so surprising. It's so shocking. It's so opposite of what would be expected of God that Christians need to be constantly reminded of it. Christians need to be constantly reminded of it. You need to be conscious, uh, constantly reminded of it. Christians need to be reminded of it lest they replace this secret with something more expected and predictable and familiar and less uh, strange. Um, the Colossians knew God's secret. They knew what it is that I'm talking about, as all Christians do. It's how you become a Christian, is to know this uh, first uh, of all secrets uh, of God. So they knew God's secret. They believed in it. I don't think Paul had to convince them from scratch. Uh, of it, but they didn't know how important it was. They had begun to think of it as one treasure among many to rejoice in for a time when it's new until it gets uh, covered over and buried and pushed aside by new treasures and finally forgotten, placed on the periphery, like uh, baby toys or childhood uh, toys. And they're rejoiced in for a time and then they get replaced by things that are a little more age appropriate and finally they get pushed off the shelf altogether and maybe um, disagree or disappear um, altogether. Uh, but the Lord is saying about this treasure, this secret, no, this is not one among many. All treasures are found in this one. In fact, the Lord is saying, I don't have more than one. I just have one. And all the other treasures that I bestow, and there are more treasures that he bestows, are found in this one and not alongside of it, not uh, outside uh, of it. That's why Paul wanted to write to this church so urgently to remind them of God's secret, to remind them of God's mystery, as he puts it uh, in this passage, and how important it is and how that all the treasures of God, everything that he has in store for them are hidden in that uh, uh, mystery. So our passage, let me give you an outline. Um, and uh, it's three parts, but he repeats some of the parts. Uh, and so uh, uh, let me give it to you. This is a, a pattern that's used often in the Old Testament. In fact, we had it. We looked at a short psalm uh, last week that had this, where uh, you go through the elements leading up to the heart of a passage that's right in the middle. 
and then you go through the same elements leading away from the heart in reverse order. So you can sort of imagine uh, the way that it uh, is done, and it emphasizes what's in the middle. And actually, uh, that's in the Old Testament. The New Testament writers must have been familiar with that because uh, Paul follows that same pattern in this uh, passage. So first, uh, Paul presents his concern for the Colossians. That's verse 1. And then his purpose for the Colossians, that's verse 2. And it leads up to the heart of this passage, God's mystery for the Colossians, verse 3. And then leading away in reverse order, Paul talks about his purpose, why he's telling them about God's mystery. Again, covers it again, and also his concern for the Colossians. And he covers that um, again. I'll go through that again um, as we go verse by verse. But first look at Paul's concern for the Colossians, because he wants to tell them about this, uh, and that's in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Paul had never met these Christians in um, uh, Colossians. He didn't start this church. He didn't found this church. His friend Epaphras founded the church in Colossians, and he's, his friend was from uh, Colossae. In fact, he founded all three of the churches that are in this region. There were three cities that were quite uh, close together, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and uh, Colossae. Colossae was the smallest of them, but it was the church that Paul needed to write to um, at this time. Uh, Ep- Epaphras had uh, founded all three of those churches, although Paul had never been to any of them. And probably on Paul's third missionary journey, when he spent three years in Ephesus, and it says all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And that's this is in the region of um, uh, Asia. And so Paul uh, talks about those who, um, well, he talks about the Colossians and also those who are at Laodicea, the believers that are there nearby uh, in this town, as those who uh, had not personally seen Paul's face, and yet Paul felt responsibility for them as uh, apostle to uh, the Gentiles. He mentions that in chapter 1, verse 25, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. And so even though Paul had not met uh, these people, nor the people in the church uh, next uh, to them, he felt a deep concern for them. And he wanted them to know this. And so that's what he writes here in this uh, verse. I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. He says, I've got a great struggle for you. And the word, the word that's given is agony, like an athlete who's striving against an opponent. Uh, or against a race, against time, or something like this, or a, a soldier in, engaged in uh, a battle. And so Paul says, I have a great agony, a great struggle, and I want you to know. I want you to know my concern for uh, you. The word agony that he uses here is uh, a, a word that harkens back to uh, the paragraph right before when he's been talking about his ministry and giving them an update, so to speak, uh, about his ministry has actually been telling them how important Christ is in uh, all of his uh, ministry. And uh, at the end of this passage, uh, he gave what could be like a mission statement for his uh, ministry and for us too, the ministry that comes uh, from Paul's ministry. We proclaim him, Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom 
so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul says, that's what I'm doing. For this purpose also I labor, striving, striving, and that's that word, agony, striving according to his power, which mightily works within uh, me. And so Paul says, here's what I'm doing. I'm struggling. I'm striving to present every person complete in uh, Christ. And now he moves from his ministry to how it affects the Colossians themselves. And he says, it's the same struggle. That's my concern for you. And he uses the same word for struggling to present each person complete in Christ. I want you to know how great uh, a struggle. And he wanted them to know the degree of his struggle, how great uh, it was. And so the struggle, he's, he's never met them. So it's an emotional struggle. It's a spiritual struggle for them. It's a struggle in prayer, certainly for them. He's already mentioned that. His friend Epaphras, the same word is used for them about how he struggles uh, for the Colossians in uh, prayer. And it's why he wrote that it's, it's his what motivated him to write this letter is the concern. He's going to get to really his purpose for writing them uh, this letter as he finally gets to it here in um, chapter two. And it comes out of a great struggle. It comes out of a great concern for them. It's the same concern that that uh, permeates all of his ministry to present each person complete in Christ, and that's what he's thinking uh, about them. But he wants them to know how great of a concern, of a struggle it is. Uh, he's saying to them, you know, you might think I'm just casually concerned about you. You might think I'm writing to you because I'm in prison anyway. I've got a lot of time on my hands. I've got nothing better to do. No, I've got a great concern for you. I take this very uh, seriously. I struggle over it. I'm consumed with concern. So it reminds me of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, what he said when he cleansed the temple. And he says, zeal for your house has consumed me. That's how Paul felt about the church, which he also describes as a temple of the Lord. And so he sees a group of Christians in an important place. He's never even met them before. Uh, they're starting to go off track. And uh, he's got a great uh, concern uh, for for them. So uh, Paul is engaged in a struggle for those in uh, uh, Colossae. That's why he writes uh, this letter. He sees that God is at work in Colossae and Laodicea as well and uh, the surrounding area. And uh, what's his response to that? And he's never met them. His response to that is, is, to, is not to say, well, I know that God's at work there. Um, and if he is, they'll be fine. The Lord's going to cause them to persevere uh, to the end. If not, that's too bad, but it's really out of my hands. Uh, anyway, I've got enough trouble on my own here in prison and for the Christians that I have met face to face. No, no, Paul says God is at work in the church in Colossae. He's at work in a way that can't be stopped uh, for Christians. That's the way in which uh, God uh, works. That doesn't cause Paul to sit back. It gives him courage to engage, to engage uh, and to embrace responsibility. He's taking responsibility for others. He's part of a struggle uh, for them in doing that. And I think his uh, knowledge of the power of God, of the sovereignty of God, actually steals him to embrace the struggle and a great struggle for them and to engage in every way possible, including uh, the writing of this uh, letter. So Paul really cared he wanted them to know that. He wanted them to know how great of a struggle he had uh, for them. He's, he wanted to know he's writing about something he deeply cares about. And he's fully uh, engaged in, even for those who've never met, he's never met. 
So do you. Do you care for those believers, even believers, certainly believers that you've met here face to face, uh, but also for, for those that you've uh, never met? You should, because Christ does. You know, Paul's reflecting his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who endured a great struggle, a great agony for those, some that he hadn't seen face to face like his disciples. Uh, but Paul is engaged uh, in that struggle as well as he follows after Christ. So Paul is concerned for the Colossians and Paul's concern flows right into, stands behind the next element here leading up to the, the heart of this passage, his concern first, and then it flows right into Paul's purpose. There's a purpose that flows out of his concern for the Colossians. I'm, I'm struggled. I'm, 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 I'm greatly concerned. I'm greatly concerned. And here's, here's, uh, my purpose that flows out of this concern. Verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged. Those that haven't seen my face, those Christians dwelling in Colossae and Laodicea, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. Now, there's a, there's a lot. He actually gives kind of three purposes uh, that come out of his um, concern. So let me put it this way. First, he gives a general purpose, a general purpose. It's why he's struggling. It's why he writes uh, this letter to uh, the Colossians. Then he gives an intermediate goal for fulfilling this purpose. If that general purpose is fulfilled along the way, this other will be accomplished. And then finally, he gives the ultimate goal for fulfilling this purpose. This is the thing that's going to accomplish his uh, purpose at the end. So in those three ways, but the general purpose is this. This is what he's concerned about, that their hearts may be encouraged, that their hearts may be encouraged. That's his general uh, uh, concerned. He's concerned about their hearts. He's concerned about the hearts of the believers that are there in Colossae. And uh, also in Laodicea, your heart is the core of your life. It's you. Your heart is you. But it's uh, especially you in your ability to think and feel and act. Um, your heart, and I've, I've been thinking about some of these other terms in scripture like soul and spirit. They mean mostly the same thing, a slightly different um, connotation. But the heart is what you're what you're thinking about consciously. It's not something hidden deep within you or some subtle way in which you're um, influenced, but it's it's just the thing that your your thoughts as you're uh, thinking them and what you're deciding to do and and how you're acting. It's what you're meditating on consciously. You know you're meditating on it when you're doing it. That's your heart. The scripture says, um, and, and so it's probably a little different from how we normally think of the heart, which is your emotions. It's that uh, in scripture, but it's also your thoughts. Um, as well. Uh, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So is he. Um, it, the heart is really the center of your relationship with God. And like I said, I've been trying to pay attention to the word soul and spirit and some of these other terms for uh, man. And one thing that I've noticed in going through the Psalms or Proverbs is that the heart is far more prevalent than either one of those terms. The heart uh, is, is really what you're thinking about what you're feeling, uh, your decisions uh, that you're making as well. And it's really the center of your relationship with God, which is why it says um, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it uh, flow the springs of life. 
So it's concern, this is general concern for the uh, believers that are there. It's for their hearts, for the very core of their being, for what's, what's central in their relationship with God, that your hearts, their hearts may be encouraged, encouraged. Um, and the word that's used here, it's a word that can have a number of different definitions. It's, it's, it's actually the word that's used for the Holy Spirit when Christ promises there's another coming when he leaves uh, his disciples. And sometimes it's translated as the helper. I'm sending a helper to you. And sometimes it's translated as a comforter. I'm sending a comforter to you. Um, it can be to mean encourage, help of all kinds. It can mean to encourage. And it can even be stronger than that. In fact, it is stronger than that. In fact, it's often used for exhorting, exhorting. And so um, the word uh, comforts can be used. In fact, I think if you're using a King James Version Bible, it says that their hearts may be comforted. Comfort is a little weak in connotation for what this means. It might make you think of kind of like a security blanket or something like that that you're carried around. And the idea is a little bit um, stronger. There's there's more power. It is comfort, but there's actually more power in it than um, uh, comfort. So that their hearts may be spurred on, helped. Comforted, but, but with power, exhorted uh, uh, in it. And so that's Paul's concern for them. He knows that they needed that. He, they needed their hearts to be encouraged, to be helped, to be strengthened um, in this way. In fact, he has a great struggle for them, that their hearts may be um, uh, encouraged in that way. So um, Paul has a general purpose for them, and then he follows it with, an intermediate goal, I've called it that. I hope that's not a uh, more help than it's worth. Um, an intermediate uh, goal. And what he's saying is, if your heart is encouraged in the way I'm hoping that it will be, this also will be accomplished along the way. And so his concern is that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. Having been knit together in love. Um, this is a good measure for a church. It's a good measure for yourself. Do you have the same or a similar problem that the Colossians were struggling with? Why Paul wrote, why Paul was greatly concerned about the Colossians of all people and wrote this letter urgently uh, uh, to them. The problem, I've already alluded to it. I'll get to it in a moment of, of considering God's mystery just one thing among many and pushing it aside, pushing the main thing in uh, the Christian life to uh, the, the periphery. Making something else the main thing um, instead. One of the symptoms of that is that you're not, you're you're not knit together in love with the people in the church. When let me put it this way: when the mystery of God is not the main thing, when it's not the all-encompassing thing, but it becomes one thing among others and pushed uh, aside, the church fractures. The church fractures when it's kept the main thing. The church doesn't fracture. It's knit together in love as uh, as uh, the church should be. And so he says, I'm praying that your hearts will be encouraged. And if this is accomplished, my purpose, I know that this is going to happen too, that your hearts are going to be knit together with one another in uh, love. So he's given a, a general purpose. His purpose is for their hearts um, to be encouraged and empowered there's an intermediate goal along the way to accomplishing this. That their hearts, if this happens, are going to be knit together with each other. They're going to have a stronger love for uh, one another. And then he gives the ultimate goal. 
This is really his purpose in writing. This is what's going to accomplish it. This is what's going to encourage their hearts and also bind their hearts together in uh, love for uh, one another. And so he presents it uh, here that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, Christ himself. If your hearts are going to be encouraged in such a way that knits your heart together, it's going to be because you fully understand the mystery of God and the importance of the mystery of God. That's what uh, Paul uh, says uh, here. Now, he says it in kind of a wordy way. You're going to attain to all the wealth that comes from, and he uses a bunch of words for understanding and for knowing. For It comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ um, himself. And uh, so it, it makes me wonder if Paul is maybe mirroring some of the heresies that are going on in uh, Colossae, that they prized a certain kind of knowing. And knowing in a, a secret knowledge, there was there was certainly a cerebral strain to the way in which they had set the main thing aside, and they were seeking um, other things. And so it may be that Paul is somewhat uh, mirroring these things and focusing them all on one thing, the mystery of uh, God. And so he talks about uh, understanding, talks about a true knowledge of the mystery, and, and um, perhaps most striking here, a full assurance certainty of knowing this mystery and knowing that the blessings of uh, this mystery is uh, for you, a certainty that can only be stamped on your hearts by the Holy Spirit, impressing this uh, upon your uh, heart. And so Paul prays that, or, or his purpose here, his ultimate purpose and way of accomplishing it, what he's really directing them towards is that they would know all the wealth that comes from really knowing the mystery, the mystery of uh, of. God. As I said at the beginning, God has a secret that's so shocking, that's so surprising, that's so opposite to what is expected uh, of God, which is why it's called a mystery, that Christians need to be constantly reminded of it, constantly reminded of this mystery. There's never a time when Christians don't need to be reminded of this mystery. You're reminded, you need to be reminded of it. Christians do when they're saved. In fact, that's how you get saved. It's by knowing this uh, mystery. Uh, Christians need to be reminded of it when they're discouraged, when they're beat down by different trials. They need to remember again this mystery, have full assurance of the knowledge of this mystery. Uh, when they go astray, when their rebellious heart leads them astray, the way back is by understanding this uh, mystery uh, again and uh, being reminded uh, again of it. There's no way to discover it without being told. And that's, that's actually the meaning of the word mystery. It means something, the Greek word for mystery is mystery, but it means something slightly different than what it means, um, in English. What it means is something that in order to be known has to be told. There's no way to discover it. So it doesn't mean something especially mysterious. It could be something very simple, and it is something, uh, very simple, but it means there's no way to discover it. And so you could take the wisest people in the world. They could study for a thousand years. They could study for a million years and they would never come up with this mystery of God, this uh, secret of God, which is the prized possession. It's where all the treasures are found uh, for uh, believers. It says in scripture, I has not seen 
ear has not heard. In other words, there's no analogy for this of everything that you can look at or uh, see. It's it's uh, shocking beyond anything or never has entered into the heart of man. Man hasn't even imagined it in his thoughts, uh, this mystery that God has prepared for those who love him. Or another scripture that says, no one seeks God as he is, according to this uh, uh, mystery. No one understands, not even one. And that's because we're lost in sin. We're bent in such a way so as not to find find everything else except for this uh, one mystery that uh, God has. And the mystery, the secret is this, he says it, um, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. The mystery, the secret is God's son. It's a revelation of what God is like in his son. Everything that God wants you to know about him is revealed in the person of his son. It's revealed in the person of the son and in the mission that he sent his son to accomplish. So everything that God wants you to know about him so that you'll relate rightly to him. He's revealed it in his secret, which is his uh, son. And everything what God wants you to know about the person of his son is revealed in the act that, that shows his character more clearly than any other, which is the act of the cross and, and uh, his resurrection from the dead, which is why Paul says about his ministry in another place, I determined to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. Christ, the person and the act that most perfectly reveals his character, which is uh, offering himself as a sacrifice for sinners. And that reveals the character of God himself. And uh, that is the mystery. That is God's mystery. It's Christ. And it's knowing him through the way he's revealed himself and his character through his son and through that act. Paul put it in that way. Martin Luther put it in this way. The cross alone is our theology. In other words, we don't try to know God in any other way than what he's revealed through his son and especially through uh, the cross. And what is revealed? What is revealed at the cross? Well, certainly God's justice is revealed at the cross. His wrath for sin is revealed. This is what the wages of sin is death. And that's what you're going to see when you look at the cross. You're going to see a death, a gruesome death, a death intended to be gruesome and to be a display. That's where the Romans um, intended it, but God had a purpose too, to reveal his justice. God punishes uh, every sin. And so his wrath is revealed at um, uh, the cross. But more than that, more than that, his love is revealed at the cross. In fact, at the cross, his love goes further than his justice goes. His justice is uh, satisfied at the cross comes to an end uh, as those sins are punished through uh, the substitute. And then his love reaches out, reaches out to uh, grasp uh, sinners, goes goes uh, so that uh, we don't relate to God according to that justice. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, but that his love is what uh, comes to us. And so what's revealed more than anything else is his love in the context of uh, his justice and love of a certain kind a kind that's shocking, a kind that's surprising, a kind that's opposite of what's um, expected, and that is love for the most undeserving. 
love for the undeserving. That's not what you'd expect of God. You expect God to love those who uh, earn his love, or at least do a little bit towards earning uh, his love. That's not what you have at the cross. You see his love for the most undeserving, and that's what God wants you to know about himself. All the treasures are hidden uh, in that uh, mystery of God's love uh, for us. This is the opposite of all other religions. God's secret, his mystery that can't be discovered unless it's told. It's the opposite of all other man-made religions, all other gods. Uh, what you'll find with them is a ladder, is a technique. And the, the mercy that they have is that every, everybody's able to grasp onto the first rung of that ladder and start climbing and making yourself um, somehow worthy of God's love. That's not what the gospel's about. That's not what God's mystery and his secret is about. His secret is you have to throw away the ladder because God comes all the way down to, in fact, he comes lower than you think you are. You think you're kind of on your way to rising in, in some way. He meets you much lower. He meets you only as a sinner with his love for uh, the undeserving. In uh, the gospel of Luke chapter 14, and I won't uh, go to it, but we find uh, what sounds like advice for going to a dinner party. When you go to a party, don't take the place of the most honor because somebody else may come and uh, the host will have to say, uh, well, I, I want this man to sit here. You go to a, a less honored place. Take the last place, he says. And then uh, the host will invite you to come sit up uh, at uh, a higher place. It might just sound like advice for how to be a hit at, uh, at dinner parties that the Lord just kind of sprinkles in with the rest of uh, his uh, teaching. It's not that. It's not that. It's a parable is actually what it says uh, about uh, what the Lord taught uh, on that occasion. And he connects it to the mystery of God, the most profound mystery of God, by saying everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself uh, will be uh, exalted. And so if you want to find a relationship with God, don't look up to the next rung on the ladder to uh, climb, but look down all the way to the shame of the cross to the most undeserving uh, of him, because that's the only place that he uh, meets you in a way that's lower than you think you are. Uh, and you find only there that his grace is greater. That's where his grace is magnified. The grace of his love is at um, the cross. So Paul's concern is that their hearts would be encouraged, strengthened in such a way that, that their love for one another is going to be, um, is, is, uh, is they're going to be knit together in love. And the way that this is going to be accomplished is for them to have full assurance, full knowledge of God's mystery, of, of what he's revealed in Christ and how to relate to him in Christ and have um, full assurance that uh, the relationship relating to God through Christ is uh, for uh, them. That is God's mystery. And that's what you have at the very heart of this uh passage in, in verse three, a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the key word that I want you to see here is the word all, is the word all. Paul says uh, about Christ and the revelation of God's character in Christ. It's not that most of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him or some of them or a good chunk of them, but all of them, all of them are found by relating to God through 
uh, not some way of earning his favor, but through Christ. What are those treasures? What are those treasures that are found in Christ? Treasures, first of all, of love. That same kind of love, that love for the most undeserving. In fact, that's why when they embrace this, their hearts are going to be knit together with each other in uh, love uh, as well as they're transformed by that same kind of love, a love found nowhere else, a love you won't, uh, you'll be locked out of if you try to discover it anywhere else but the cross. And it's the first characteristic of a Christian. It's a first characteristic of being transformed because it's a treasure that's found in Christ. So love or courage is found in knowing God through Christ, knowing his character, relating to him according to the character that's revealed in Christ and his work on the cross. Uh, the, the treasures are all hidden in him and in knowing God that way, like courage, like joy. Joy is found in that. You're going to serve the Lord with gladness. You need to serve him according to the way he's revealed himself in Christ. Peace is found uh, in, in him. Uh, true repentance Heartfelt contrition. You know, the blessings of the Lord are for the contrite in heart. And it leads to the question, how contrite is contrite uh, enough? Well, if you grasp the blessings that are found by knowing God in Christ, he'll, he'll, he'll make your heart to be contrite. It's hidden. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him uh, of submitting to the Lord. Or the diligence to work hard to pursue all those things amidst many setbacks is one of the treasures that's found in Christ. In other words, through knowing God and knowing his character through what he's revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're hidden in Christ. In other words, his character, as it's revealed in Christ, is a surprise. It's an opposite to what you would expect. And that's why Christians constantly need to be reminded of the mystery of God and then all the treasures of being transformed into his image that are found in uh, Christ. Well, Paul's um, been leading up to God's mystery. That's really his reason for writing uh, the Colossians is to call them back to that or to remind them that all the treasures that they're pursuing are found not outside of Christ, but inside of him and God's revelation of himself and his character through Christ. So uh, Paul's given his concern for the Colossians, how great his concern is for them. His purpose in struggling over them, fretting over them, writing uh, to them, engaging in the struggle uh, with them. And it leads up to God's mystery. And now he's going to go through those same elements in reverse. So he talks about his purpose uh, again uh, for them in verse four. I say this so that, here's his purpose, no one will delude you with persuasive argument. This is um, the first time Paul addresses directly the problem that was taking place in Colossians. He calls it persuasive argument that is seeking to delude you, that is uh, seeking to call you away from uh, all the treasures that are found in Christ. And so he says, I say this, I talk about God's mystery and all the treasures that are hidden inside of his mystery with this purpose, that no one delude you with persuasive argument. Now, Paul's difficulty with persuasive argument was not in persuasion itself. In fact, a lot of Paul's letters, they're organized in a way that's very persuasive. And he, he doesn't do it haphazardly. He does it in a way that packs a punch. And he's eloquent in the way he uh, organizes his thoughts um, as well. So his problem wasn't in uh, persuasion itself. His problem was something that doesn't start with Christ. Doesn't start with knowing God 
through Christ and derive uh, from it, knowing that you're forgiven and loved with that kind of love, a love for the undeserving and then putting that same kind of love into practice, putting that same kind of character that's found by knowing God through Christ into practice in the Christian life and working at it um, in that way. That's what he's referring to when he talks about persuasive uh, argument. God has made foolish, no matter how smart they sound, all the things that don't start from Christ, knowing God through Christ, through the cross of Christ, knowing his character through Christ, and that drive uh, from that. And so uh, Paul says, I'm writing all of this, I'm reminding you of this uh, central mystery of Christ so that you won't be deluded by persuasive uh, argument. Um, the problem of being deluded by arguments that don't start with Christ is not so exotic of a problem that you have to go to Colossae or be exposed to the exact same teachings that they were uh, exposed to to be persuaded by it. And so in uh, just a couple of verses, we won't get to it uh, this morning, but he's going to talk about uh, empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And so he's, we'll talk about the elemental principles of uh, the world. But you carry around with you something that resonates with arguments for knowing God not as he's revealed in Christ, not as he's gracious towards the most undeserving of sinners, but as he's rewards maybe someone who's uh, cleaning themselves up to deserve uh, in some way. Uh, there's an elemental principle. It's the law stamped. On every heart, not just of uh, believers, but also of uh, unbelievers. And so there's a, a reason why those arguments are persuasive to us. We all carry around something that resonates uh, with that. And that's why Christians constantly be, need to be reminded that God's character is different from that. God, as he's revealed uh, in Christ, does not uh, love you to the degree that you deserve to be loved. No, he's, he sets that aside so that he can love you in Christ and so that you can be transformed by that love for uh, the most uh, undeserving. And so um, he says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments, meaning persuasive arguments that don't come from Christ, that don't come from knowing God through uh, Christ. So uh, Paul's presented his concern, his purpose for the Colossians, his purpose even for writing this letter. He's presented God's mystery. Then he's uh, gone back through the same elements. He's presented his purpose um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm talking about this, and here's my purpose so that no delude you with persuasive argument. And then he uh, returns by talking about his concern for the Colossians again in verse five. For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in uh, Christ. Paul uh, refers to his attitude uh, again. He says, I'm absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit. Sort of reminds me of the way in which we pray for um, believers in um, Japan. We're absent in body uh, from them, but, but we're right with them. We're, we're involved in the same struggle with them in spirit. And Paul uh, says that about uh, the Colossians as well. And then he says, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. And I think the idea here is that they've made a good start They've made a good start. It start, started to go astray. That's why Paul is uh, concerned about them. 
but uh, he's rejoicing at the, the, the solid start that they've made. He's, he's definitely not despairing uh, about uh, the Colossians. They just need help. That's why he's writing to them, reminding them again of uh, the mystery. But he's rejoicing in the good things that he sees, and he describes this in terms that uh, have kind of a military echo, this good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ, like they're an outpost of uh, the gospel there in Colossae, and he's uh, concerned about uh, about that and about the spread of the gospel. And so as he's rejoicing to see their good discipline, it could, could even be like their morale um, and the stability of their faith in Christ. They're not strangers to what, what he's talking about. They're starting to go go astray. They're starting to take uh, for granted uh, some of this, but uh, he's uh, rejoicing with them and seeking to uh, more firmly establish uh, what they have, which is uh, based on their faith in Christ, who is uh, the mystery of uh, God himself. So God has a secret. That's what he wants them to know. That's what, and he's reminding them of this. They agree with it, but they've uh, forgotten it. They've, they've seen it out of perspective. God has a secret so shocking, so different from everything else, uh, everything that we uh, would expect God uh, to be, that even Christians need to be constantly reminded. His secret is his son, Christ himself. His secret is knowing God through Christ and through Christ's act of love that reveals the Father's character uh, towards you. If you're not a Christian, there's no other way for you to find a right relationship with God. There's no other way for you to be right with God uh, and to serve him and to know him than to know him according to the mystery of Christ and according to the mystery that he came uh, to be a savior to sinners. In fact, if you try to know God through any other way, God hides himself. He hides himself uh, from you. He, he tries to make foolish all other ways of knowing him because he's chosen to be known through the foolishness, his foolishness of uh, the cross itself. And so if you're not uh, a Christian, let me say to you to despair of knowing God through any other way, to despair of being right with God through making yourself deserving in any sense but to uh, trust completely in Christ uh, himself. And uh, you will become a Christian. You'll have a, the gift of eternal life and all the treasures that are found in Christ today, instantaneously, as you trust uh, in him. And so let me urge you to do that. If you are a Christian, you need to be reminded. In fact, maybe you desperately need to be reminded. The Colossians did. The Colossians need to be desperately reminded. That's why Paul had such an intense struggle for them that all the treasures of God are hidden, derived from knowing God in Christ and knowing his character through Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for this mystery, this secret, which uh, astounds all the wisdom of the world and actually puts it to shame, that you are known nowhere else but through the act of love by which you sent your son and by which he went to the cross to be a substitute for sinners. And that's the measure of your grace and it never ends. And so we pray that we might not uh, set aside knowing you through the grace that's found in Christ, but instead might grow in it, might be transformed by it, might show that same grace uh, to others. And instead of living a life of self, 
live a life of that same sort of love and all the characteristics of peace, joy, self-control, gentleness, goodness, all the things uh, that come from being transformed by that same love. And so we thank you that all the treasures of wisdom and understanding are found in this great act of your son. We thank you that we know you through Christ and him crucified. We pray that you'd prevent us from trying to know you in any other way, but uh, might uh, remind us uh, of these things and encourage one another to grow in these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.